uh, for the message today is titled Complicatedly Uncomplicated. Because uh, you know how much I enjoy uncomplicated things. All right? So let me ask you this. Have you ever thought to yourself uh, that this Christian thing is harder than I thought it would be? Anyone other, other than me ever had that conversation with themselves? You know, I thought being a Christian was supposed to be easier. You know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, that kind of a thing. Um, maybe you're the only believer in a relationship and you're trying to figure out why God hasn't forced your significant other, your spouse, to get saved. Uh, it's because he doesn't. They have to choose it. Um, maybe you're the one not living your life how you should be living, uh, and your faith is a constant reminder of your lack. Uh, I can remember being in that place myself. It's not an uncommon thing for a Christian. Maybe, like so many of us today, you're just getting tired of the endless arguments and debates over the garbage connected with COVID. Maybe you're just, just, just worn down. I've talked to more people in the last several months who are just sick of it. And they're not even sick of it outside in the secular community. They're sick of it in the church. They're just tired of it. Maybe you're wondering, uh, should faith be this hard? If Christianity is this difficult, is, is it worth it? I've had that conversation many times as well. So to the question, should Christianity be this hard? The, the, the simple answer is no and yes. I hope that helps you. You're dismissed. Uh, 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 no, it shouldn't be this hard, but yes, it should be this hard. Um, and what I want to do today is explore the difficulty that, that some of the difficulties that we have with our faith, because the Christian faith should not be difficult and it should not be complicated, but the reason, there are the good reasons why it is. And if we understand those reasons, we have a better, uh, we have a better ability to deal with life as it's tossed at us. So I want to deal with basically three different things, um, when it comes to our faith. Um, the first one is that life would just simply be easier if I wasn't a Christian. Anyone other than me ever said that to themselves? My life was so much easier before I became a Christian. Now, that's a harsh statement, but it's something that does, it does run, run through, our, uh, through our minds periodically. And the simple reality is uh, the Christian life is a difficult life. It is. Uh, I can say without hesitation, life was so much easier for me before I became a Christian. So much easier. I'm talking about just general life. But when people hear that statement, they, they think that it sounds like a statement of regret. Like, oh, I miss the good old days. Well, I got news for you. The good old days weren't good. <laughs> they, they just weren't good when you look back on them. Now, I can't speak for everyone, but when I think about the past and I realize the statement, you know what, life was easier before I became a Christian. It's not a statement of regret. It's just a truth. And it's easier for a reason. So when people walk away from the faith, even into a compromised version of faith where you're allowed to call yourself a Christian but get away with anything, most people express some level of relief that like some weight has been lifted, finally got out from underneath that oppressive faith. Um, They usually fall into one or two categories. Uh, The first one is someone who wants all the benefits of of being forgiven. Anyone ever know anyone like this or been someone like this? You want all the benefits of being a Christian. You like the idea of heaven and being forgiven, but you don't want to change your life. People who I know who find it too hard to be a Christian and who contemplate walking away, they're having a hard time because they want heaven 
They want to go out into eternity to heaven, but they want to live like hell. You want all the fun stuff on earth that everyone gets away with, but you want the benefits of heaven, and that just doesn't work. It, it just doesn't work. It's like wanting to be in shape and then eating all the junk food in the world. It doesn't happen. No matter how good it is. You can't lay a man does not live by Twinkie alone. Jesus said that. It's in the message Bible. <laughs> You've heard me say this a thousand times. Um, God will t- accept you exactly the way you are, but he's not cruel enough to let you stay that way. He wants to make you more like him. Now, the second category is the one that I find to be more common. Um, and uh, it's people who, are, who come to faith, but they're, they're not discipled in faith. They're discipled in religion. And I want di- to uh, help you understand what I mean by that. Faith is a choice. It's a choice you make and a choice that only you can make. That choice is to learn God's word and to apply it to your life. That's the choice. That's the choice that faces every believer, to learn what this book says and to apply its truth to our life. That is faith. Do you notice that it didn't have anything to do with me? It didn't have anything to do with your parents. It didn't have anything to do with your grandparents or your family legacy or your friends or the music you listen to or the movies you go to or whether or not you drink or not. It's, it's, it's about learning you making the conscious choice to learn God's word and then apply it to your life. That's faith. It's a choice that you have to make and that only you can make. We gather together as a community to help one another on that journey because none of us can make it alone. The goal of our journey of faith is simply to reach the end. (laughs) It's not about winning. It's not about beating the next guy there. It's not about letting everyone know how awesome you are at the race. It's just about finishing and getting as many people with you to finish as well. Now, on the other side of that, religion is a symptom. Uh, a symptom. <laughs> I guess, depending on how you look at it. Religion is a system. And the system is that you're bound to learning a system of life, thought, and obedience. Life, thought, and obedience. And if you don't comply to that system then you're not allowed into heaven. Sound familiar? A lot of Christianity ends up falling into this category. Let me give you the idea. The primary issue with denominations is that some of them teach that you not only need Jesus, you need to be one of them. I call it the Jesus plus theology, that it's not enough to have Jesus. You have to have Jesus and be part of their church. And believe the way they believe, and live the way they live, and talk the way they talk, and dress the way they dress. So you have to do all of that because Jesus wasn't enough. Two really good examples, the Catholic Church and the Mormon Church. Jesus isn't enough. You've got to be one of them. Because they're the only ones that have it right. The funny thing is, neither one of them agree. Excuse me. To be a Catholic means that you agree to live according to a set of Catholic standards and beliefs. To be a Baptist means that you live according to a set of Baptist standards and belief. And because of the area we live, to be, more, to be a Mennonite means you agree to live by a set of Mennonite standards and beliefs. The problem is when we believe that our system 
is faith. Okay? When you believe that your system is what saves you, your system has replaced faith. So now you no longer have faith in the source that the system came from. You have faith in the system over everything else. Of course I'm, of course I'm going to heaven. I'm in church every Sunday. <laughs> I got news for you. The devil's in church every Sunday too. He ain't going to heaven. I know a lot of people who have been in church every Sunday for most of their life. They're not even a Christian. They just don't know what else to do. They haven't figured out how to commit yet. When the system is what makes us right with God, we're actually not right with God. The system does not make you acceptable. The system is just a system of life. Right, wrong, or indifferent, good or bad, it doesn't make any difference. I've said that, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of controversy between Protestant and Catholics. You believe, you know, one's saved and the other one's not. I, I say this quite often. I believe there are as many un, there are as many saved people in the Catholic Church as there are unsaved people in the Protestant Church. Just because you attend that church doesn't mean you haven't given your life over to Christ. Now, there's a reason I'm not a Catholic, but that's a different story. The system does not save you. And what happens is the weight of the system becomes too much. Anyone ever been there? You might be saved, but your friends are telling you you need to quit your job. You need to get rid of your friends. You need to dress different. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. I know churches, ladies, that if you walk in the door and you're wearing something that they believe is too low cut, they will hand you a shirt. Or if they think your shirt is too, uh, your skirt is too short, they will hand you something to wear. <laughs> Who's going back to that church? Who's staying? <laughs> there you go. It's not how this works. It's not what faith is. In Matthew eleven twenty eight and 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now listen to this. I want to show, I want to show you something that, that, that we, we, we read and we understand, but we miss a piece. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, what do we normally take away from that? Easy and light, right? Easy and light. Faith should be easy and light, but we forget there's still a yoke. There's still a burden. Jesus says, come and take my yoke upon you. He didn't say, come to me, there's no yoke. He said, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is light. It's still a burden, it's still a task, it's still a life that we have to live, but it's lighter than others. Our yoke and our burden is found in the knowledge that sin is real, judgment is real, and hell is real. But we also know that forgiveness is real, that grace is real, and that heaven is real. And our task is to bring that truth to the rest of the world. So we spend our life learning what that means, how to apply it to their life, and share it with other people. That's our burden. That's our yoke. And you know what? It's not heavy. Because I don't have to come up with any of it. All I have to do is learn how to understand it. It's not on me to save other people. It's just on me to let other people know... I'm saved, and here's why. Here's how. That's easy. That's light. Learning how to live according to the rules of man, that's hard. It's so difficult. I remember once I was, uh, when I was first saved, 
I went to a, a, a Christian concert um, with the, the church I was at, and I don't even, I don't even remember who it was. Um, it was an old album. I remember the album title was Taken Heaven by Storm. I don't remember who the artist was, but some of you might. And, and I'm there, and I'm there with a bunch of other kids who've been ra- who were raised in church, and we were, uh, we were talking, and I was, um, uh, we were looking at a poster, uh, and the, the, the poster basically had like a soda ad on it or something like that. They were like, that is so against God. And of course, I'm like, excuse me? This is so against I should not drink that much caffeine. Mountain Dew is very ungodly. <laughs> what happens if you have a Red Bull? <laughs> you just go straight to hell? I mean, is that, is that what happens? Just poof, you burst into flames right there on the spot? It's crazy. That's the weight of religion versus the freedom of choice. And we should have choice. It's very important that we spend our life doing what is supposed to be. But you know what? There's another reason why the Christian life was easier, or why life was easier before I became a Christian, because I was completely ignorant of any kind of standards. You know, here's some truth. Um, um, when the only standards I have to live by are mine, life's easy. Life's very easy. Um, when, uh, when you get to decide what's good and what's bad, and you get to change your mind at a moment's notice without anyone's approval, life's pretty easy. You know, stealing is bad if you steal from me. Stealing's okay if you have something I need. <laughs> Convenient. When morality is whatever you want it to be at the moment, life's pretty easy. When marriage is just a social contract rather than a covenant before God, life gets easy. When children in the womb are disposed of as easily as old socks, Life is easy. And when sex is no longer the benefit of a committed relationship, but merely a physical transaction that can be bought and sold like any other commodity, life is easy. Before Christ, my life was all about me, and I only cared about the things and people that I wanted to care about. And I can say that confidently. That's who I was before I met Christ. I cared about me and me alone. Because I believed I came from nothing. I believed I was going to nothing. And I had a life to live. And if you were in the way, you were in the way. And I just get you out of the way. When I look back on that life, yep, it was easier. I wouldn't go back there for all the money in the world. Wouldn't go back there for any kind of life because it's simply not worth living. Now, the second way Christianity becomes too difficult is other Christians. So we got our first way. Sometimes you got legalism and, and, relig- and uh, religion over faith. But the second way that, pe- that Christianity becomes overly difficult or overly complicated is other Christians. <laughs> There's an old saying that church would be much easier if there were no people in it. Because we can be moody, judgmental, hypocritical bunch of sinners, can't we? <laughs> and that's like Sunday at three. I mean, it's like... There's, there's, it's, it's, you know, none of us are perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Now, from the outside looking in, if you were to look at, at a regular Christian life and regular Christian marriages and regular Christian people and couples, we seem to have all the same problems that the secular world has. The only problem is some of us put Christian labels on it because we don't like the way it sounds when you put a secular label on it. Let me give you a couple examples. Um, we're not being, we're not sick. Christians don't get sick. I am being physically challenged. Come on, how many of you remember that, right? Negative confession. No, 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 I'm just being physically challenged. How about this one? We're not stubborn or pig-headed. I am resolved in my convictions. 
No, you're stubborn and you're pig-headed. Uh, we don't fight with other people. It's iron sharpens iron. <laughs> and faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I love you. That's why I'm telling you you're wrong. <laughs> we're not judgmental. We're discerning. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and we don't gossip. No, 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 no. We share one another's burdens without their knowledge. So we can pray for one another, right? That's what we're doing. Sounds great. Uh, did you know that Christian humans are still humans? <laughs> I don't know if you realize that. Like, we don't become some sort of different animal when we become a Christian. We are still humans. We still have all the baggage that all other types, that all other people have. The only difference is we should know better. We all have our moments where we're less than we should be. Can we agree with that? We all have those moments. Sometimes all you got to do is walk into a door in the middle of the night and way to the bathroom. You suddenly become the old man, right? You know exactly how sinful you were because it all just came right out, whether or not it came out loud of your mouth or in your mind. Could you imagine if we all had like the text boxes over our head of what we're thinking? Oh, Lord, would conversations be different. <coughs> The most common reason that I have observed for Christians not getting along with one another, Christians dividing and splitting, is that we apply a standard of behavior to others that we don't apply to ourselves. We apply a standard of behavior to others that we don't apply to ourselves. See, we have an understanding of what Christian morality should be, Christian ethics, Christian standards, Christian relationships. We understand what that is, and we expect it from everybody else but us because we have reasons. Exactly. See, we have a reason why I am the way that I am, but you don't have a reason for the, we, the way you are. So you can't tell me that it's acceptable for you to be that way because I know better. But you see, you don't know my, you don't know my situation. I've prayed about it and I have peace. And me and God have worked this deal out. We have a, we have a progressive plan to get me to where I'm supposed to be. But right now, you, you, sh- you, couldn't, you shouldn't hold me to the same standard I'm holding you to. Uh, okay, No. We say things like, they should be more committed. They should be more generous. They should value my opinions and talents more than they do. Instead of that, how about we do this according to Scripture? And we ask questions like this, am I as committed to them as I should be? Am I as generous as I should be? And do I value the opinions of others as I should See, that's different because the truth of the matter is you can control you and only you. We spend way too much time trying to figure out why they're not acceptable (laughs) when in reality the problem might actually be us. The way we get past this is called grace. Grace for us, grace for others. But when we're talking about grace, don't forget grace for you. You got to have grace for yourself. Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, in the middle of a fight, middle of an argument, when you're explaining to your spouse why you don't want to go to Christmas dinner or why you're mad at someone at work or what's going on, and they turn to you and go, oh, honey, soft answer turns away wrath. Did it? (laughs) Or did that just stir up something inside you? Oh, no, you did 
Uh, yeah, 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 they did. And, and you know why we get mad when people uh, remind us those things? Because they're right, and we don't want them to be right right now. We want to be right because we're right, der. Er. I'm not angry at them. This is righteous indignation. I'm not, I'm not being sinful or judgmental. I'm just being truthful as a believer. And if they were truthful as a believer, they'd understand that. Um, which is just horrible and a lie we tell ourselves so that we can get away with whatever we want to do. Romans 12, 9 through 18 says, let love, listen to this, let love be without hypocrisy, which means you do what you think others should do regardless of whether or not they do it. That's what letting love be without hypocrisy means. It says, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly, affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfast in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. <coughs> Excuse me. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one for uh, evil for evil. Have regard for good things uh, in the sight of all men. And if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Is there any part of that scripture that gives you the right to apply that to anyone but you? No, none of it. It is all self-directed. Paul is reminding us who we should be focusing, uh, that we should be focusing that on ourselves, not towards other people. It's important that we have that attitude. God knew that we would be difficult people, redeemed, but difficult, which is why he continually reminds us how to live like Christians. Now, you don't have to be best friends with other people, with, with everybody, but we should be willing to do our part to get along and then trust that God is working on them to do their part. So one reason why Christianity is complicated is because life's hard. Another reason why Christianity is complicated is because there are other Christians other than just you. And the third reason why Christianity is complicated is because of the Bible, <laughs> Right? The Bible makes everything complicated, doesn't it? it sh- is, should it be that difficult to read the book that God gave us to learn to understand him? If God seriously wrote this book himself through the hands of man, how is it possible that this is so difficult to understand? If God really wants to get to us, really wants to help to, us to understand him, really wants us to be saved, really wants us to come to repentance, shouldn't this be easier to read? Now, I'm going to say something that might make you feel ridiculously inadequate. The Bible is written to be the most easily understandable book in history. It is graspable by anyone of almost any education level. Anyone can read through God's word and fully understand what he's doing, what he's saying, and how we're supposed to live it. How many of that makes you feel really inadequate? Now, the reason why that makes you feel inadequate is because it's almost true today. Now, I want to show you a picture as to why I can say that honestly, but it is also untrue. 
I can tell you that the Bible is the easiest thing in the world to understand, and that is very true, but the Bible is also one of the more difficult things in the world to understand, and that is also true. So I'm going to show you a picture. Some of you are going to get it, some of you are not, but it should, it should illustrate the, the, the reason why this is so difficult and so easy all at the same time. Here's the picture. Now, for those of you who might be listening on the radio or watching or listening to the audio without this, I just put a picture up with four little hobbits and it says second breakfast club. Now, just with a show of hands, who gets it? Okay. Now that is actually hilarious. It's hysterical. If you love Lord of the Rings and you were born in the eighties, Right? If you don't know either, this looks like, I don't know, Raggedy Ann and Andy's clones. (laughs) See, here's the thing. When I first saw this, I laughed because it is hysterical. But you know why it's funny? It's because I understand what's not said. I already understand what's not apparent in the picture. I know the details that the picture itself does not show. Now, the reason it's funny is because the hobbits, this is from Lord of the Rings, the hobbits eat six times a day. They have breakfast and second breakfast. They have lunch, afternoon tea, and they have dinner and supper. Oh, and there's snacks in between. They're some of my favorite people in Middle Earth because they're little fat guys. I love them. And in the 80s, how many of you remember the movie The Breakfast Club? Molly Ringwald, Emilio Estevez, great movie. So this is a play out. If you understood both of those, this is funny. If you don't, it's weird. And what's worse is if you only understood half, if you only understood, say, the Lord of the Rings side and not the movie side, you can get a real messed up view of what this means. You see, the reason why the Bible is the easiest book to understand and one of the hardest things to understand is because if you don't know what's not in the text, you don't get it. You're missing huge amounts of information. The Bible is the easiest thing to to understand to the people it was written to. In the first century and before, when God penned scripture to his people, they understood all of it. They didn't have to think about any of it because they were in the situation. They got it. They got the references. They understood the culture. They understood the history. They understood the idea of morals versus moral versus immoral. They understood sacrifice and offering. They understood all of these details that we don't get. Because we don't, we don't, we don't view the Bible with a 2500 BC mind or first century AD mind. We view it with a 21st century mind with our level of understanding, with our morals, with our political views. And what's worse, we view it like Americans. (laughs) We think it was written to a bunch of Western 21st century uh, Americans. It wasn't. It was written to a bunch of first century and before Eastern Easterners. I probably should have finished that word. Eastern what? Totally different traditions, totally different culture, totally different 
ideas. And if we don't pay attention to that when we're reading Scripture, it's going to become very difficult to understand. Even though it's been translated into English, you can translate language, but you can't translate culture. You can translate a word, but you can't translate history. There are things, there are things, I mean, if you think about just history alone, there are people today, right now, that want to teach World War II history as if the United States was the aggressor against Japan. It is the stupidest, most historically ignorant viewpoint I can imagine that anyone calling themselves a historian would ever take. But they're doing it. Why? Because they have a different view of the morality of war from where we are compared to where they were. So they have completely corrupted the narrative to fit their thinking. That was less than 100 years ago, folks. If you think it was easy then, just in that short a time frame, imagine 2,000 years ago, 4,500 years ago, how much it has been corrupted. It happens continually. So in order to understand the Bible, you have to already know and understand what is not in the text itself. And you've heard me say this a bunch of times. The Bible can never mean to us what it could never have meant to them, meaning those it was originally written to. So our challenge is to learn what it meant to them first. First and foremost, to learn what it meant to them. And the problem is there's this thing that we, in theology, theological circles, we call historical distance. And historical distance is not the time that has passed between then and now. Historical distance is what has changed during that time in terms of culture, social customs, legal, uh, legal and illegal practices, morality, family. How many of you heard people say, we need to get back to the first century church. We need to get back to the way things were done in Acts. Sounds great, right? We were actually talking about this just the other night. And I was talking to Jay, and I asked Jay how much he got for Courtney. Did you pay an acceptable amount, young man? What was it? Two cows and a goat? I mean, was it, or was it more? See, we don't do that. How many of you remember when Alicia came and talked about when Moses brought her home to meet his parents? Now, if you don't know, Alicia is from, up, uh, from upstate New York. Moses is Ugandan. So he brought her home to meet the parents. And the first thing, the parents, parents see her. They pull him off to the side and they're like, we don't have enough cows to afford an American girl. She thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Do you see what we, we don't understand these things? It's completely different. Could you imagine if some young man came to your house holding on to a bunch of cows? I'm here for your daughter, Chuck. <laughs> some of you got that reference, some of you didn't. You would think they were out of their mind, depending on your career. I don't know. Someone, you know, they, who, who knows? Tara might be sold off. I don't know how, how it works. It's like, <laughs> deal. <laughs> you know, it's just not how that, how that, how that works. <laughs> Life is very, very different today than it was then. So the further away you get from the original time frame, the more difficult it is for us to understand easily what's being talked about. So we have to do a lot of work. This, the mistake that people make is this thing called eisegesis. I know it's a 
theological term, but it basically means this, viewing scripture through the lens of your experience, causing you to read things into the text that are not actually there. We don't read scripture through the lens of our experience. We judge our experience through the lens of scripture. That's very counterintuitive to Western American thinking because we think our experience is what teaches us, and it's not. Your experience will teach you, but it, not, it doesn't mean it's going to teach you good. It doesn't mean it's going to teach you well. It may teach you very poorly. We have to view our experience through the lens of Scripture. Now, this doesn't mean that you've got to become a Ph.D., doesn't mean you need to learn all biblical languages and, and, and understand how to decipher historical context. It just means you have to be aware of it when you're reading. Get a hold of a good, a good commentary and, and, and learn what life was like to the people that God was actually trying to reach at that time. And then figure out what the, the important part is. Otherwise, you get lost in a practice when really you should be looking for a principle. That's the difference between choice and religion. Religion, remember, is a system Faith is a choice. It's a choice to follow the character and nature of God. It's, it's very different. The Bible can be as complicated as you want it to be, but it doesn't have to be. As a Christian, just know you don't need to know all this stuff. There are very few people in the world who are called to study like a nerd to learn all this stuff. I actually think sitting down and having conversations about the type of paper used in the Dead Sea Scrolls versus the type of paper used in the the Egyptian papyrus can tell you which of those those source texts should be more reliable. I enjoy that conversation. Half of you just took a nap right now. I do this uh, this because that's what God has, has gifted me and called me to. That is not everybody, but that's why we come here to learn what the little bit of what we need to know. I would encourage you to basically focus on three things when it comes to what you need to know about your faith. These are just three ideas. If you can focus your understanding around these three things, you will have everything you need to have, everything you need to know to have a vibrant, very active, very positive, successful faith in Christ. A promise, a child, a choice. Which, by the way, is the title of the Christmas message, which is in two weeks. It'll be on the 26th, not the whatever next week is, 19th or something like that. A promise, a child, a choice. If you can focus your understanding around that, and even if it's that alone, if you understand those three things, you have everything you need to know. What is the promise, and how does it apply to me? Who is the child and why do I care? And what's the choice and why is it important? If you can focus it just around those things, you have everything you need to know. Leave the nerdy details to nerdy detail people. They're not that important in general Christian life. But someone's got to know them so that we can make sure we stay true to the word. Now, if you want to become one of those nerdy people, let me know. We can be friends. As long as you agree with everything that I say. No. <laughs> it's quite a sacrifice, yeah. It's like, yep. 
At the end of the day, the power of Christianity... At the end of the day, the power of Christianity is found in the love of its people and the simplicity of the message. Can I say that again? At the end of the day, the power of Christianity is found in the love of its people and the simplicity of the message. Let's try to keep it that way as we roll into the season where we honor and celebrate the birth of Christ. Christ.